Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. So you finally got around to beating Ghost of Tsushima. I finally beat Ghost of Tsushima. I stopped playing terrible Overwatch matches long enough to <laughs> end Destiny uh, long enough to finish to finally that finish one up. Finish it up. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, so... It well, hold on, hold on. I want to warn everyone. We do have a special guest in the uh, in the room. It is Steve's dog. She looks like she's going to try and sleep. I imagine it won't be too successful considering we'll be talking, but uh, just in case you start hearing uh, random noises, it might be the dog. If you hear weird animal noises, we're not about to be eaten by wild animals. It's just yes. a dog. She's going to be eaten by a wild dog. Yeah, she's not big enough to eat us. Um... But so, yeah, so anyway, so yeah, one of the big things about the game I feel like is once you there's a certain point where I hit it where I just had I feel like I had momentum. Um, I kind of had the two actually where the the early in the game, it, like I think in the very beginning it grabbed me, and then I think I got to Act Two, and I just it really I really got bogged down. Um, I was trying to, there was, mm. you know, I was going all around doing the various quests. There was, like, it just seemed like there was a lot of space and a lot to do. And the game didn't really push you hard at that point. Yeah, well, the funny thing is you and I ended up taking very different approaches. In part because I had more time to do so. But, um, when I played, like, I played for a few days. Like, I played, like, a whole weekend. Like, almost nothing but Ghost of Tsushima completed a good chunk of the first zone of three and then i just like took a break to slam out the rest of persona 5 royal that week and then i went back and it was still kind of like overwhelming at how much map i had and i expected it would be a game that i'd play like for a few days took a break mm -hmm. played a few days took a break because of how big it is because of how much there is to do in that open world but no instead i ended up just like really playing that game hard for the rest because when I got to Act 2, I felt like Act 2 is when a lot of the abilities started to really open up. The game started to really open up mechanically a bit more. But at the same time, the open world kind of was still just this big open world. And it gave me mixed feelings because on one hand, I feel like there's... Because it's not actually absolutely huge. It does feel like it, but it also doesn't feel like it. Like, I've played bigger games. I think... So, it... There were some aspects to the world, I think, that, that helped with the feeling of the sizes. One, it felt natural. Like, it felt like... It felt like the... I, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Okay, so... Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, to some degree, feels like the game... There's a... Even though it's using mountains and whatever else, there's a feel, feeling that the game unnaturally sort of puts you into corridors yes. in the open world. Where yeah. I don't know if that game, how that square mileage compares to the square mileage of the island of Tsushima. Yeah. In, but Ghost of Tsushima feels more open because it's just, it's open. If you just want yeah. to ride your horse to the old town road, it, you just you can ride till you can't no more. Yeah, I I don't know if you're quoting the song or no or not. 
<laughs> I was like, country, a, it was a really like terrible, whatever. It was a really terrible misquote of the song. Actually, I figured it would. Be I, I figured like you that. would just roll right past that. But. I've still not actually heard the song, so I don't. I, I've I've intentionally skipped that meme, but well, no, like good, I, good for you. I, I get what you mean because like, like that that was actually one of the things that I remember saying earlier on a forum I'm on, is the game. The Horizon Zero Dawn has like I played that right after I played Breath of the Wild, and I, this this comparison was inevitably going to come up. We will probably have a Witcher Three comparison later from you, uh, or I, I might be the one to bring it up actually because of my just even what I know about the game. But for me, like when I played Horizon Zero Dawn, it was right after I played Breath of the Wild, where you could climb anything so long as you had the stamina, and because you could make potions to prolong your stamina, you could climb just about anything. Um, like, that was a game where exploration was truly free and open. Versus then I'd go to Horizon and I'd be like, oh, there's a landmark there. And I'd spend, like, ten minutes just trying to find the critical path they want me to take to that landmark. Ghost of Tsushima is better in that regard, where it's not as free as Breath of the Wild. You can't climb literally any surface. But they try and provide as many points of traversal as they can. So unless it's something like, oh, this is a special shrine that you can only use the grapple hook to get to, yeah. you're effectively able to go to any location from a variety of different uh, points. Yeah, that's that's the, generally speaking, the after I got used to the whole guiding wind system and just got over the fact that I sometimes I would just need to ping it frequently. Yeah. Um, I think it was a good balance between having a very so like in the witcher for example you know, as a comparison a lot of open world games now you can basically turn on the like show me the exact steps i need to take to get to the place that i need to go and so without having that kind of hand holding it also didn't make things incredibly difficult to get to um so um, so I appreciate, I, it was initially a complaint I had, but I, I think yeah. I got over that particular complaint. I think overall the game did a really good job of balancing the clear guidance, the accessibility of locations, and not, not holding your hand. Yeah, and I do think that the game's mechanics really did try and emphasize freedom in general. This is a game that wants you to feel free to explore free to explore your combat abilities and how you do things um and this is of course like i wrote about the game recently and i discussed some of this uh in a kind of vague terms unfortunately but i feel like like both thematically speaking and in regards to the mechanics they wanted to give you that sort of freedom to change to experiment to just do stuff and not have to feel pressure to do it in any specific way or order and, and um, this is so this is a part where i feel like Ghost of Tsushima is, we, we've talked about it a couple of times, being more than the sum of its parts. Yes, it is definitely greater than the sum of and its parts. And one of the aspects I, I see that is in the way that it's an open world game with an incredible amount of freedom that remains wholly immersive. Or I think that's a lot of times where you have an open world game where you have opportunities for unexpected encounters and emergent gameplay. It starts feeling disjointed and disconnected where it's... Or where that emergent gameplay feels incredibly manufactured. 
This right. happens in like Far Cry to me because it's like no matter what, there's going to be a tiger somewhere trying to maul someone's face off, or there's going to be a car that comes in with enemies and stuff. Like at some point, it feels like they're trying, like they 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 have such a timer, such a random generator, that it's like they're trying so hard to create that emergent gameplay that it stops feeling emergent. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also, I think it's just the framing as well. So, as an example, you know, I'm going to, I just finished up whatever I need to do. I'm going to ride to Castle Shimura, or not Castle Shimura, the base where we're getting set up to, no, I guess it was Castle, whatever it was. Whichever one. Whatever, whatever the location was, to talk to my, to talk to my uncle to go do the next step. Um, oh, that's mild spoiler. Uh, so... <laughs> The then along the way, I run into some Mongols, and they have a prisoner. I fight the Mongols. I free the prisoner. Oh, you've got to help us! They're in our village. They've you know I ran and I was the only one who escaped, and then these other ones caught me. Okay, so I'm thinking just from a story immersion perspective, like this is okay. Now I'm Jin, and I'm saying okay, like well I'm going to take a little detour from going to my uncle to go do this and go go save this village and then I'll I'll go find my uncle and, and whatever else where that feels like a natural diversion it's not just like a quest marker on the side of the road like oh what's this quest marker oh yeah. it's a thing I can go uh, I can take a quick break and go help this village out uh, yeah so they, they sort of make the they made it flow very naturally, so you can have all these encounters, you can have this emergent nature, the open world, and the freedom, while still feeling immersed in the world of medieval Japan. Yeah, um, I ended up, first, I, I'm pretty sure medieval Japan is not the correct term, but I think feudal Japan is the correct term. But feudal Japan, you? thank you, yeah. That was what I was looking for, medieval, <laughs> yeah, medieval Europe. It's oh, like... Uh, my, my brain was at a yellow light trying to get past that, and I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, but the, the, the and I'm, I'm the last person that should be pedantic about that stuff, but the, um, the, 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 that, that I think is one of the things that works well, in the, in, and it's with everything that they do. Like, again, like, one of, one of the things that I think really works in this game's favor is how much they try and make everything about it somehow blend into the like it's important to the setting like every game like every open world game has its laundry list of chores and errands and other stuff here's your to-do list and for the most part this game's got it too like collecting the banners and flags just for a new color horse saddle is probably one of the biggest like i didn't do that i i, I did and it really is one of the least of the tasks but the um they 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 try and give you ways to like it makes me wonder what a no map no marker version of this game would feel like to play um like to try and challenge yourself to never use that because there's a lot of hints on the horizon like you can look and see smokes smoke clouds mm -hmm. Are all in the distance, like point out to your points of interest and different kinds of ones. And I even started to notice that the um, Inari shrines, which give you um, additional charms and charm slots. No, what gives you? Yeah, charm you, slots? Get the, you get the you charm get the charm slots, slots first, the Inari, yeah. and then you get the charms. 
Um, you get like powered up charms. You can either find the fox den, which has very specific like fireflies drifting about it, or you it will actually play like a sort of flute to uh, tune hmm. when you're in the vicinity of one. And when I started to notice that, like you'll you'll notice it like after a while when you find uh, follow the fox to the shrine, like it'll play it. And then hmm. I started to notice it though on its own. So there were times I'd be wandering the environment. And I'd hear that flute tone play, and I'd stop and be like, oh, there's a shrine around here. And it'd give me a reason to, like, pause and look around and stuff. And I'd find it without having to find the fox den first. Um, and there were instances where, um, yeah, like you said, like, I, I would actually put the objective marker to, okay, I want to go to this part, like, this side quest, all the way across the zone, all the way across the map. But in the meantime, if I spot something that catches my interest, interest, I'm going to go look at it. Which sometimes meant, you know, clearing out a fort of or camp of Mongols kind of a thing. So it's definitely very much a sort of... It is a take on the Ubisoft open world formula, but they have a lot of this stuff that feels more integrated. Or you're like, yeah, you'd find yeah. a hot spring. Or you'd find a haiku spot right. where... And again, like this is like where they're trying to consider what is our setting, what's important to the culture. Let's tie everything to Shinto. So it's like, yeah, the hot, sp hot spring will increase your resolve a bit, but it also provides Jin this opportunity to reflect, kind of a thing. And it's it's trying to be somehow substantial, right. except for the banners. Yeah. I, again, so we did. We had. I did sort of three play styles throughout the game. In the first act, I was playing slightly completion-ish ish um, for a while and then I just realized I wasn't going to have the time to be completionist with this game. Yeah. Um, in act two I was playing more like kind of how I described. I would basically let the game I would pick my destination and then let my ga the game take me on a journey there. I think that was the most satisfying way to play. I could see that being the best. Where I way. wasn't, I wasn't hunting, looking out for things. I could see there's a question mark on my map. I wasn't going to go out of my way to see what that question mark was. But whatever happened to me on the way to my journey, on the way to my destination, was the journey that I sort of partook on. By yeah. the time I got to Act Three, I was basically playing main story only. Yeah, I just needed to to get it done. So, yeah, it, it, again, I think what you're saying, the way that the things are framed with, especially with the hot springs, the Inari shrines, there's a, again, it, it all lends to the immersion because it made it important, the haiku spots, made it feel important. We're on this journey where here's a, a moment of rest from, you know, either riding full speed on my horse or fighting the Mongol hordes invading my homeland, take a moment of quiet reflection and write a haiku. Yeah. And most open world Ubi formula games don't really do that. It's just a, uh, it's a check, check that box. It's check a collectible that box. or check it's a check that box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so to that extent, it's like Ghost of Tsushima did a really good job with trying to at least, um, Give give the inherent fighting of something meaning, and that's the thing. Like I I I I talk trash on the banners, but the banners are still like 
they represent the different samurai clans that have fallen mm. um, during the Mongol invasion. And when you collect a certain amount, you get to go back, and Jin tells the guy a little bit of a story about that samurai clan. So it is still offering something more. Um, and I will say also, like I discovered quite a bit into the game that if you press the right on the directional pad on the map, it'll bring up a way to just locate the nearest collectible. And you can hmm. collect, you can unlock more of these um, as well. Interesting. But like if you want to find banners, like the map will show a sort of dotted line heading towards the general direction of the next flag, but it won't tell you precisely where it is. So you can still follow the wind to that general area, mm -hmm. but you'll need to find it yourself still, which is, this is where I figure it's kind of a compromise between the traditional open world hold your hand and the absolute make your own waypoint freedom of Breath of the Wild. It's somewhere in between where it will help lead you to these things more, um, but it won't give you the, uh, the absolute answer. And I like that. I like that in a game where it allows me... Especially because two of the legendary side quests had that element to it. Yeah, definitely. So, I definitely... I think the world and the way you interact with the world is probably one of the stronger points of the game. Yes. What I think is probably the weakest point of the game, even though it's not bad outright, is... What do you think I'm going to say? Since we're not going into spoilers yet, I'm going to guess you mean the combat. The combat. Interesting. I think the combat is the weakest point. I think it's... what it, The reason it's the weakest point is it's a really mixed bag. Where one encounter... One encounter, I feel like this god-tier samurai who could cut down a thousand enemies without being touched. And then the next encounter, I feel like I am a complete moron who, I'm the guy who, you know, in one of the, the side quests, stole the samurai's armor to impress the ladies yeah. at that farm. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I feel like. And, and it feels like it alternates between those throughout the game and a lot of times I just couldn't figure out why. There's a number of reasons I could uh, suggest. The first question I'm going to ask is how many of the abilities did you manage to unlock? By the end I had unlocked quite a bit of the abilities. You didn't have all of them unlocked. did not have all of them unlocked. That might... Well that's the problem help. with the game then. If the game wants you to have every ability unlocked for the game to be fun... Then there's a problem with the game. I want to say fun, but it might also. Uh, what I'm saying is that like it might help explain part of the discrepancy between you and me, because like you you were in a Discord complaining about um, the last uh, fight with Kotun Khan, and I'm sitting there like, I mean, it was tough, but I didn't even die. Like I didn't find it to be that. But it's of a not problem. tough. If you didn't but, die, it's not tough. But I also platinumed the game and I unlocked yeah. everything by then. Like. I, I did everything. Right, your health bar really was probably to. twice as long as mine, and you probably had twice as much resolve. A lot of resolve, a lot of health, and a lot of you, other like of combat abilities that I can call upon. And so this is one of those areas where I'm wondering if maybe that factor. And also, but, I will I will admit one of my issues with that fight was I had not switched out of my ghost armor, so I was in an armor that did not provide me additional protection. Yeah, and the week after this podcast goes up, there's going to be an update. That allows you to create 
customized charms to that armor, to that outfit. So you'll be like, it's like, well, after we've both beaten the game, it's like, oh, this would have been very ideal for, and you have, yeah, it's like at that point you have to learn like constant outfit swapping for the situation kind of a thing. Yeah, and so I will, I will give it points for allowing somebody who did not really grind out a lot, especially into the second and third acts. It wasn't gated in the way that Assassin's Creed Origins or Odyssey oh, is, yeah. where you basically just cannot, the level, the item, the enemies are, are leveled, and you basically cannot progress past a certain point without leveling up. So I'll give it, I'll give them credit for that, but maybe there is some element to the game where you're, you're, well, it's, it's this it's this sort of like sideways... Oh, I want to actually add on to that because it's not even that they just didn't blatantly gate like the latest Assassin's Creed games did. It didn't do what the Arkham games did or even like Spider-Man where it's like, oh, suddenly there's snipers on every rooftop and you've got yeah. to deal with them in this open world so that the final, the final act of the game or the final acts of the game, you're like, the open world is no longer any fun because it's just... Tons of right. enemies everywhere. The the boost in, and I was actually really worried that because um, of the way Act Two ends, I was worried Act Three there's going to be a brand new set of enemies to worry about on the open world, and there's not. It's still yeah. the Mongols, and while there's slight modifications, like you'll see them light their weapons on fire more when uh, you do more a, poison arrows, more poison arrows when you get into a standoff, they have less of a wind-up when they attack. Yeah. But it's like it's all subtle changes to the difficulty. And there are more patrols in the third area, but you're still able to just run around with them. It's inconvenient, but it's not as bad as snipers and rocket launchers on the roof of Spider-Man in the last third. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah, um, it's it's not... Right. So, I, I would agree with, with that. It doesn't... It doesn't make it frustrating to play... The encounters you end by, you end up with fighting more annoying enemies. So one of the the stances that I maxed out was the moon stance, the one that's good against brutes. Big guy stance. Yeah, big guy stance. Um, so that proved to be really helpful in a lot of the encounters. That that's your biggest threat is the brute. So yeah. if you can interrupt their attacks quickly and um, and take them out. And then that also brings out, so this is my core complaint about the, about the combat is, and again, this is something that was probably mitigated by getting more abilities, uh, leveling up your armor and your swords and all that. It's that I could perfect parry an enemy or um, do the the triangle attack to stun them, you know, break break their to stagger yeah. them, stagger them, or do a, a perfect parry or perfect dodge, do a full combo as would as allowed by the game on any just any given mook and not kill them. Like as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned, that's that should have been in any situation in any case that should have been instant death. If a if a average rank and file enemy gets stunned out or perfect parried, 
and you combo them, they die. Well, that's part of the problem is the enemies aren't really rank and file. Like, each of them are still special in their own way. But, yeah, there's the, the, the shield, sword and shield units, spear units, and the twin sword units yes. are kind of put, like, viewed as your rank and file. And yet, right. yeah, and that, that's the thing. As you get through, as you get further in the game, if I had my sword fully upgraded, health. if I was wearing the right armor set, yes. that would have been that, that they would have died too. to a single combo. Charms, um, other my modifications. Charms, my charms are pretty good. I had like rank three charms, and I had my yeah. charms pretty well optimized. But it's uh, like, yeah, it's, but that's the thing. It's like the whole it's the whole kit and caboodle. It's like how you how you put everything together will depend on your lethality, and that's the thing. Like because of how specific, like the. Um, the archer armor, I'll call it the legendary archer armor, because uh, of how specific that was. I actually never really used that. I used bow and arrow as a stealth option, but I never really used it for main combat purposes. And this is an armor set that's clearly meant to go with charms that are that that mean you are going to be awesome with a bow and arrow. But it is so situational for me that I never used that. So like that's part of where like the game gives you a lot of customization, but. Do you optimize that? Does it, does that even fit your combat style? Um, how yeah. useful is it compared to others? And because because I, I I mean I kind of agree because there's a lot of like the further you get in the game, the more you're like oh I used to like slaughter you in only a couple of hits and now you're taking an awful lot of damage here. Yeah. Um, like guys that you're able to break their guards like just really ham hammer into them and then somehow they're still standing. But there's also, see, one of the things, too, that when I watched you play, there's a lot of the ghost weapons you didn't seem to use all, uh, very often. I was out of ammo all the time because I wasn't going around specifically gathering ammo, going back to the trapper, filling up my ammo and all of that. I barely, I barely went to the trapper to fill up on ammo. But I was also, like, I don't know, it depended because I, I picked up a lot of kunai off the dead bodies yeah, you think I picked up Kunai off the dead bodies, that's true. It's the other ones that were a little bit more rare, but I also, because I'm sneaking around everywhere, like you're able to find the sticky bombs, I learn where the wind charms are. Um, like, and I didn't get to use everything all the time. Like, I didn't get to use the smoke bomb a lot, though it is useful in a crowd when you can do the chain assassinate. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Like, I, I would actually say, and this is where, where it's like the game's strength and also weakness, because the ghost weapons give you so many options in combat. I was constantly throwing kunai, and yet I wasn't also switching over to other weapons very often, like the, the, the sticky bomb and other things, because, and I discussed this with you a bit, where you, 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 you have this thing with the, 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 the L and the R triggers to... Uh, it was so confusing, this. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like you hold the L trigger, and that's like for your bow and arrow. You select your, well, the D-pad swaps what kind of bow it is. Well, you swap also swap, is your bow and arrow, and you swap between, your by the end of the game, your two bows. There's your, a third option, oh, yeah. The, 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 the blow gun and yeah. the thrown items. The yes. wind chimes and Yeah, stuff like that, and then, and then the, the, the face buttons when you're holding that trigger are the ammo type. It's the reversed when you hold down the right trigger because the face buttons are now your sword stance with the left, with a D-pad being what kind of uh, ghost ammo type you're using, ghost weapon type you're using. Yeah. And it feels like, because what always tripped me up was I'd hit the D-pad to change my stance because that logically is similar to what kind of bow. Like, bow is 
range type. Stance is melee type. And then the ammunition type feels like the face button. So I'd keep going to swap out my stance and I'd hit uh, something else. Like it, it well, was yeah. confusing At in that regard. And it felt, it felt like it was a bit of an over, like it, it made the game feel more complicated than it is. Because you have so many options and even though like now I understand the logic they were going for, it's like one of those things where it's like, wait, what is what now? Like what is tied to which button? And so it, it actually dis, dis, disincentivized me from experimenting with all the ghost weaponry as much as I could have. Um, and by the end of the game, I was definitely doing a lot better. Kunai here, sticky bomb there, smoke bomb in order to clear out. But it's still that sort of like, wait, which is smoke bomb tied to? Is it over here? Is it over there? Is it with the wind chimes with something else? Because that's the thing, like you had, you had a kind of bomb with the wind chime and everything, and then you had a different kind of bomb with the ghost weapons. So it's it's this weird mixture of things that it just it it, it did it. That was I think the weakest part of the combat because you have so many options and it could work so well if you're like able to just swap between all of them. Um, and it's funny because I was playing this roughly around the same time as Doom Eternal, and I'll let you talk for it in a minute. I was playing. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, uh, um, I was playing Doom Eternal at the same time, and as I also wrote on my blog with that, it's like there's so many options, and I like all those options, and yet the game played in such a manner that I never felt like I was good at it. The funny thing about Ghost of Tsushima is I also never quite felt like I was really good at it, but because the game wasn't that difficult on the whole, it didn't matter. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that difficult um, in general. So right, so. I definitely used switched a lot to the ghost weapons, mostly because I was always out of them. And um, right, so like, here's an example of where combat felt good to me. Um, I'd go to a, um, a Mongol hut. I'd snipe all their archers, or Mongol fortress or whatever. Yeah. I'd snipe all their archers. Um, Maybe I'd mess around with them a little bit towards the end of the game and use the um, the confusion poison darts or something. That didn't always work out like I hoped. Just just to thin the ranks a little bit. Because sometimes here's the worst part: if there's no enemy, if, if you're the closest thing to that guy, he'll still come and attack you. Oh well, yeah, duh! You shoot the guy who's in the middle. You shoot him from a distance. The guy who's in the middle of like five Mongols. And you start. Well, I a figured brawl. that out eventually. Yes. I mean, that was like the first thing I figured out with that. Anyway, so yeah, you cause a ruckus, then go to the front gate, stand off. Um, you know, I think I only ever got to where I could do a three, a three chain on. Oh, uh, you standoff. never got the max of five. Yeah, I never got the max out for that. So you know, chain three guys at a standoff. Okay, now I can go into ghost mode. So then I stand off, take out three guys. You know, everybody's rushing me ghost mode, take out three more guys, now the remaining guys are terrified because of the thing, I take out two more terrified guys, and then just mop up the whoever's left. I had a similar and, sort of... And sort of like those I, I had a similar, similar sort of pattern, but I like to use the one um, the one uh, uh, ability you get that costs resolve that slashes like three guys, two or three guys. Okay. I, I, I like to use that as well because that could quickly make quick work out of people yeah. like, but then, so anyway in those moments the game was was fun I felt like I was this 
you know, ghost samurai who was terrorizing the, the Mongol invaders and all of that. And it, and it felt great. And then I'd get into a story mission and I'd be like, oh shoot, I'm out of kunai. Oh shoot, yeah. I'm out of sticky bombs. And now, I, and now I've got a spear guy, a sword guy, a brute, well, another means, sword, double sword guy. And a, this means you did not explore enough of the camp that you just slaughtered everyone in to restore your supply. You didn't loot enough dead bodies because just about every one of those places will have tons. Well, I would have, I would have, I looted the supplies, but I didn't upgrade my pouches enough to be able to really have an appreciable amount of anything. And the so pouches that require you to actively hunt boar and bear and stuff like right. that. Right, and so yeah. then I would, let's say I did, I refilled at the at the fortress, then on the way I encountered bandits or something. Yeah. Maybe I used a, a kunai to just quickly clear the bandits, get to the story mission. You know, I've got a couple things, but I'm fighting multiple waves of enemies, and by the end yeah. I'm getting swarmed by all these guys. And so it almost, it felt like the combat flipped on me where the the random encounters felt fun and cinematic and the yeah. story encounters felt like painful slogs. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of where, and the, it's just interesting because some of the story encounters are some of my favorite missions, but that was also like I was doing those after I cleared the entire area just about. Right. So I was already like so super upgraded and then ready. Like, come on, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. You're ready to, to, to do to it. To throw down. And I think also and that's where, where the, the sort of the warts started showing where like, you know, I would, um, I don't know, I'd switch to spear guy stance, stun out the spear guy, and then I would, for whatever reason, decide that I was going to... You know, when my next attack would go at the sword guy. That was a big issue with this game, is the weird auto-targeting that it did between the enemies. And it's like, no, no, that's not the stance I selected. Then, right. No, no. Right. Um, that is probably the biggest, because people asked for a lock-on. And the lock-on probably could have helped. And also... Like, it's funny because at I'd least also, a stance-based, a stance-based preference. Yes. Where if if you're in if you're in whatever spear stance, that you're there's a really strong preference for targeting any spearmen nearby. Yes. You're not going to suddenly do your your stagger your spear stagger attack on the shield guy that's standing five feet away from the spear guy you wanted to attack. Yeah, because there's um. And it's funny because, again, like this year, like that summer, I'd spent, well, the spring and summer, okay, the spring and beginning of summer. Bloodborne. I spent a lot, well, Bloodborne, but I also spent a lot of time playing Ocarina of Time and studying its combat design where they intentionally made it so the enemy you locked onto was the only one that was being aggressive. And then Ghost of Tsushima, it's tough to figure out which enemy is going to be the one to attack and then, like, how quick do you need to recover when the next enemy attacks? Because there's no real rhyme or reason. And it's also because the uh, because the combat relies so much on your reactions that when once you're out of ghost weapons, of course, your reaction is that you either need to be able to dodge the attack or parry the attack. That it gets really frustrating when you're getting you know you've got three or four enemies around you, and it's always the guy who's slightly off screen that who comes seems at to you. attack. 
first. Or, or in my case, it's like I because when you try and switch stances, time only slows; it doesn't stop. So I'll be switching stances, and then I won't be able to dodge in time because it's like that slight delay of reaction. Yeah. So it's like uh, I'm switching stances to be able to properly deal with spear guy, but then I'll get hit by the spear anyway. So it does. It's it is definitely like. I like a lot of the combat system, and I liked a lot of it, but and I also had moments like you did, like, where it's like, I'll be di- sitting there, and I'll be like, the man, I'll be killing everything, and I'll just, just slaughter, slaughter, it's like, I feel amazing, and then next thing you know, it's like, I'm just wasting my resolve healing myself, like, what is going on here? Yeah. And so, I think there's a lot of good parts about the combat. I think some of it that makes it challenging is, right, is that same thing where... There's a there's a way they want you to play the game. They want you to hunt the animals and to do the other your, stuff, get the upgrades stuff, yeah. and all that stuff. Where I didn't put a lot of time and thought into upgrading the ghost weapons, which made a lot of those encounters more challenging than they might have been intended to be. So I can I can recognize that there's there's a little bit of that. Um, well, at the same time, the game feels clearly designed that you can just speed right through it if you want to as well. Like, again, that's where it's like the, the, the enemy's getting harder in subtle ways as opposed to these huge dress... Like, again, let's think about Spider-Man where they had all of these enemies that are like, oh, now you have to use this specific move to get around this or this. Right, you gotta slide like, under this guy's leg. You gotta yeah, jump you, over this guy. You gotta, yeah. Like, you don't have that in Ghost of Tsushima. Right. Everything you start to learn in Chapter 1 is still relevant in the third third act uh, chapter act however yeah. you want to call it like that's all still relevant they just change it a little bit so it's never it never feels too repetitive it doesn't it, it feels old school in that like you play Halo and the fights at the beginning of the game aren't that different from the fights at the end of the game they're just the end of the game's harder you know like but you're still yeah. using the same weapons the same general like like is that kind of mentality yeah um, definitely so um so what was we so we're we're pretty far in right now. So we, we what we talk about we talk about the characters. We talk about the on a surface. Let, let's go on a surface, surface level surface until level we get into the themes and characters. Um, well, the, this is where again, like I, I figured the uh, Witcher three comparison would come in because like one of the things the the game story doesn't feel like some of the best this like some of the best video game story stuff out there, and yet. There's a lot of stuff that actually is really good in this, both from the thematic standpoint, like um, like you, you, you read some interviews and the the and again like I wrote about this on uh, my blog, where nature is constantly moving and the Japanese like structures themselves are of course mm. not, they get burned down and destroyed and yet nature still stands or will regrow. Mm. Like there's this idea of change and the inevitability of change and things needing to move and progress versus that tradition the old ways that conservatism Mm -hmm. and that's baked into the setting as much as it is into the narrative and that's a there's a lot of good there there's a lot of these cutscenes that are really good but there's something about the presentation that falls victim Partially because you're making this big open world game. And there's a lot of stuff that inevitably, I guarantee you, there's a lot of story beats they wanted to hit that needed to be dropped on the cutting room floor. 
because they're making mm. this big open world. They only have so much time. Um, and then you have the side quests where so much of the dialogue is spent you on horseback following your buddy instead of um, in a cutscene told in a way where you can see the faces, see the facial animations, or it can be delivered in a more meaningful fashion. And also because it's like we need to hit this story with like in five steps. So we need these quick episodes where the entire dialogue takes maybe 47 seconds in this entire mission and yet it needs to be like an episode's worth of character development to build for their overall character arc. And this gives the game a feeling of being poorly written or just average writing when there's a lot of stuff being dealt with that's actually really beyond what a lot of video games are doing still. Or at least as part of the evolution of video games getting better at this. So, yeah. So, I think one of the things that I would say in the story that Ghost of Tsushima represents an evolution of video game storytelling is that in the end, the most compelling part of the story isn't the story itself, but it's the characters. Yes. It's a game about... about it's not a game about beating Koten Khan... And expelling his army from the island of Tsushima. And it is a game about Jin's and Yuna's and Taka's and all of these characters and their personal growth and what the, the all invasion the other does little, to them. Right, and all the other little stories from Basako to Tomoe that happen along the way. And in a, in a lot of ways, what the invasion uncovers hmm. about Tsushima um, and the characters. Because you basically, everybody has a truth revealed about them. And that's some of the stuff I do want to discuss in the spoiler section. But it's like, what I, what I, again, what I wrote on my blog is that Kotun Khan is not really the antagonist of Jin, it turns out. Hmm. Um, what ends up being Jin's greatest antagonist is uh, tradition. Let me get right down to it. What he's really fighting against, because and it's both within himself, what he's been raised to believe, versus what the reality of the situation is, what needs to happen for Tsushima to survive, for Japan to survive, and in that way, Kotun Khan is like Jin. If anything, he just provided the catalyst for Jin to be aware of this, for Jin to be his true self, and then. Um, it's just he's he's on he's another culture. Hmm. He's the invader, but at the same time, I mean, when you think about it, so were the samurai to Tsushima originally as well. It's almost though I feel like kind of the framing you've been talking about with uh, that Koten Khan is almost like a force of nature that is in the army that comes in and forces change to. The sort of we talk about the structures that you know the nature yeah. remains the same. The structures are smashed and burned down and everything else. That yeah. that that for the the tradition of Japan and the culture of the samurai, that Kojin Khan comes in like a force of nature to smash down the structures, the man-made structures of tradition. Yes, uh, that sort of define. Yeah, that. like like a typhoon. Which yeah. is also what factors in to the story, um, but it's 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 and it's also like one of the reasons why 
the world itself. Like people talk about, like, oh, every area's got a unique biome, and it looks like nowhere you go, and the game will look the same. And the very first portion of of the game has a very spring-like feel. The second portion starts to look very swampish, very muddy. Then finally you get snow and you get like what and it feels also like you're going from spring to autumn to winter. Hmm. Like the and I think these things are very intentional as well as the reveal like the director did confirm the more ghost acts you do, the more frequently the environment will have stormy weather. To the point that I started to notice that whenever I did an assassination, you'd hear a thunder crack in the distance. Um, like, it, it, and I don't Which know. It's funny because this. I felt like I wasn't playing that ghost-like for the most part, but I was always stormy in my gameplay. Yeah, I, it's one of the. It actually goes back to what I was saying um, about like if they did like a morality system when they tried to track it. Like, I think that's the closest you get to their morality morality system, and it shows just how fable-like it is. It's just the reverse of fable, where you know, mm. in fable. You can try and play an evil character, but unless you're literally killing all the guards and stuff, you're always going to end up being a good character. Like, you can't play a nuanced character. As long as you're completing quests and killing goblins, you're going to get a halo above your head. Unless you intentionally try and be a real jerk, but it's, like, not a good kind of evil. It's a very juvenile, you know, I stole your lunch money and shoved you in a locker kind of evil. Ghost of Tsushima is kind of the same way. It's like, in order to avoid the stormy weather, you have to never use stealth. You have to never use the ghost weapons. You have to only do stances, only do... And, of course, that goes against the nature of the story anyway. So, either they want... Either they want you to use ghost items and intentionally bring that stormy weather, which technically works out. I mean, the typhoon's developing, so they might want to have more and more stormy weather, which works out narratively. Hmm. But because they're tying it to game mechanics, then it feels it feels more like a morality system, and therefore it feels more like, it feels more flawed. So... Um, so I think this is something we, we kind of touched on in some of our conversations about the morality system. The more I think about it, the more I don't want a morality system in Ghost of Tsushima. Nope. I want a faction system in Ghost of Tsushima. I don't want that either. No, no, no not, <laughs> not, a, not a faction. So I, you probably never played... Um, and actually, The Witcher Three is another possible comparison point. You probably never played the game Privateer. It was a um, Wing Commander. It was a Wing Commander series. Oh game yeah, I definitely did. Play where them. you play a a space trader, whatever, um, in the Wing Commander universe. So one of the mechanics in the game is that there's all these factions. There's the militia. There's the retros. There's you're out on the outer rim kind of thing. There's the pirates, and um, there's the you know whatever traders guild or something like that. And so basically, depending on your actions, depending on which missions you take, what you do will affect your reputation, which each of those factions, and will determine who attacks you and who leaves you alone, essentially. So there now you could play it in such a way. I had managed to do this at one point, where there are a couple, there are factions that you cannot be friendly with, essentially the the Mongols, but that where you could have every 
faction that will be can possibly be friendly or neutral to you will be friendly or neutral to you. Um, so, you know, if you like do enough militia patrols, but then also kill enough militia in front of pirates kind of thing, you will be friendly with both the militia and the pirates. And if you don't destroy any trade ships, you'll be friendly with the traders as well. So anyway, what I imagine being an option for, for Ghost of Tsushima to implement some kind of system, other than adding some more choice into aspects of the game, is utilize the Ronin and the, and the Samurai throughout the game, where the more ghost-like you are, you will incur the wrath of sort of the, the Shogunate Samurai. Um, so if they see you, they're going to be likely to give chase and come after you. And then the see, more of the Shogun... No, 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 no. That gets right to what I did not want to have happen in Act 3 that I was expecting. And where... Because that makes wandering the open world more of a pain. Well, no, because it wouldn't... No, it no, wouldn't be no, no, because, no, no, Because you no, still no. have... You... And, and then you... And then if... So you would still have the same number of encounters, potential encounters. No, because the Mongols are still there. Well, the so Mongols are still there, but like, more so like in Act 2, for example, I was thinking about this mostly in Act 2. In Act 2, you can run into roving bands of the Straw Hat Ronin. And they're some of the more annoying enemies to fight in the wild. Right? So what if instead of having, whatever, 10 Ro Straw Hat Ronin encounters scattered about Act 2, you had 5 Straw Hat Ronin and 5 Shogunate Samurai in potential encounters in the open world. So that depending on your choices, your actions, one or the other, or both, or neither, would attack you on sight. Well, see, part of the problem is also the timing of that. Like, eh, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's that's I don't an idea, but I, I think that there were ways... That might not be the perfect example. I think there were ways that the game could make your actions have consequences that's not just a infamous style black and white morality system. It's like how in Mass Effect, if you played right, you could have access to both Paragon and Renegade Paths. I'd like to say I'm fine with the game not doing that with the consequences of your actions, because all of the actions are Jins within cutscenes. And the, cut, the consequences pay off narratively. But you're right. I mean, that's that's part of where it's the funny thing, where it's like by being so free in terms of gameplay choice, narrative choice is restricted. But I'm honestly fine with that because it honestly, I feel it is a question of what does this add, and I mean, what does this add both narratively and mechanically? And I could see where people would think, oh yeah, man, mechanically speaking, that would be more interesting, and this, that, and the other thing. But it wouldn't. It would change the narrative or the narrative development required by the programmers. Like what you'd have to take into account of now in terms of choice. And it's like to that extent, it's like I don't think it would make the game definitively better. It would make it different and that would change who it's better for. And I think it is fine in a broader think, scheme think, as it, it is. I think by the time I got to the end, I accepted that the, I liked the game as it was. But at the same time, it... And again, you're talking about the, you know, the freedom of the game, but you weren't actually 
ever very free. The most the game took your choices into account was uh, some slightly different dialogue depending on the yes. order you played. Side it's your quests. typical shallow choices, right? Very shallow choices. Where it would be it would be interesting if there were some choice, some consequence. Um, and we'll discuss some of that in spoilers because I do have an area to comment on that. But um, on the whole, though, like as I said, like I think the the, the story is probably better than it really feels when you play it. Um, it is limited in terms and of so, its execution, and especially because even like some of the even some of the smaller side quests, like you, there's one where a woman tells you Bannis came and stole her rice. They didn't, and she basically tricks you into killing these bandits in order to get the rice and you know Jin figures this out though and it's like that's an interesting kind of a thing it's not told very well and it's like well you can think of some of these situations how they'd be told in something like The Witcher which the Witcher, is very where... well known for having these really great morally ambiguous Right, right. In The Witcher, you might figure out that you might be able to figure out. Oh, the bandits didn't steal the rice. Do I kill them anyway? Do I trick the bandits? Do I trick the woman into thinking I killed the bandits and give her the rice? Do I just ignore the woman and take a reward from the bandits for not killing them? Like, do I? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Where there's all these different. There's every story sort of has has like three or four different endings or something like yeah. that where you can. You know, do I go back and kill the women because I don't like her? Actually, you typically can't just say like that. But you know what I'm yeah. saying. That, you know, that the, there's... And so there were a lot of... So, for example, the one I the one I come back to is the the fake samurai living at the yeah. farm. Where, well, I expected to come back. Right. Where, so... I expected so, him to be a running gag. Like, yeah. Where, but yeah, so that was a kind of thing that, that could have been a running gag. But even just that story could have had more than one ending where do you kill him? Do you convince him to go back and let him be the fake samurai? You know, do you do do the you know, all this other stuff where it a little bit of choice would have been and those kinds of choices I feel like aren't really that difficult to write from a I mean obviously there's so much that goes into anything with a video game. But in terms of, you know, like adding a dialogue option and a couple extra lines of dialogue. Yeah. That well, it also could involve like removing other side quests that are less interesting to emphasize the more interesting ones. Yeah. Um, and th this is the shame of it too, because again, like even when it comes to your main character additional side quests, some of those are executed better than others. And. Like, I'm going to be honest, I really liked Norio's up until towards the end, because it felt like he didn't learn the right lesson for me. Yeah, I felt like, I felt the the last, like, Norio's kind of took a turn um, that that didn't feel natural. Um, I thought that, uh, I mean, really, that, Norio's is the only one I really have any complaints about. Yeah, um, Ishikawa's is the best. Ishikawa's was... Um, Yuna's was, is good. I like Yuna's. I, li I like Yuna in general. I like her as a character. Um, Masako's was pretty good. And uh, there was the there was the sort of Weasley guy. I forget Kenji. how his ended. Yeah, the, I actually didn't do the Kenji tale. I can understand. Uh, he, he's not really that He just great. wasn't like that compelling of a character to me. That he's cool, um, but he just it didn't... But 
it's like they 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 with the exception of actually with the exception of Ishi like Ishikawa's was on the whole the best toll. Like the last two missions for him especially were really good. And I think what what made Ishikawa's good was the way they they slowly they they drip fed you the details throughout in the conversations in each thing you sort of not to be too spoiler, but you get an idea of of how much more Ishikawa was culpable than he may have let on at yeah. first. And you know what? That's going to be a good spot, I think, to lead into spoilers, because I want to discuss something about his that I think factors into another major story thing that had me really curious. So... If you haven't beaten Ghost of Tsushima and you don't want to know about any of the major spoilers, the major ending points, all that stuff, now is a good time to stop and come and, back. And just to give us the, the final thoughts for the non-spoiler, Ghost of Tsushima is better than the sum of its parts. Is is a a like B plus game that did a lot of extra credit to get itself up to an A plus. That sounds about right. That's basically what it is. It's absolutely you must play, but don't be surprised when there are lots of flaws and issues that you find in your playthrough. See, I'm not sure I would call it a must play, but if you're getting yourself a PlayStation system, it's up there with Bloodborne, God of War. Um, Those might be the only Sony first-party must plays I have on this system right now. Spider-Man. you know what? Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give Spider-Man that. Um, I, I think I uh, I like the fact that Spider-Man is shorter, better. Like you could platinum that game in half the time. But I think Ghost don't of Tsushima. Don't platinum. Don't platinum Ghost of Tsushima. Do a do a hybrid playthrough. Play play a good number of side quests. Well, what might, what might also increase my opinion is depending on how it's executed, the new Legends mode. Yeah, that might, that really sounds really so interesting. We'll see. Yeah, about we don't that. have any. We don't know anything about the new mode. It could be amazing. It, they, Horde mode. I posted not only a video, well, but not a that, I mean, not that we block. don't know anything, but that we like. We've seen. Okay, there's co-op missions. There's a horde mode, but there's going to be a raid. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, but like, what? Anyway, all right. So we'll, we'll, we'll be able to do a podcast on that eventually. Eventually, but anyway, it's spoiler time. Spoiler time. Spoiler time. <laughs> um, but okay, so, the, so I, I don't really have any good bombshells to drop. No, 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 I like to think. drop a bombshell right at the start of spoiler. You time. do, you do, you do. There's not really much. Oh my goodness, I thought it was something terrible. Um, you uh, can kill Shimura if you want to. Okay, yes, the very. There you go. Yeah, so there you go. There's, there's your, your bombshell. Yeah, there's your bombshell. Um, no, the the the. What I wanted to lead into though, like. You find out Ishikawa himself is an unreliable narrator when it comes to the story and the history and everything. And he himself doesn't really understand his student, um... Tomoe. Tomoe. I was thinking Toe, and it's like, that's not right. Tomoe. And I loved that also, like, you you meet this person and it's like, I, I probably figured it out way slower than I should have. I still figured it out before Jin said it. But I was sitting there like, oh, this is Tomoe. And then Jin's like... You're Tomoe, and it's like, ah, oh, I did figure it out. He's, he's not going to be an idiot and not realize it. But like, I probably should have realized immediately, like, oh, this is going to be Tomoe. I'm this incredibly capable woman that you just found wandering the wilderness 
who knows who Ishikawa is. Part of Ishikawa's, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's is like, you know, but no, that was a that was a good that wow that that was one of my favorite side quests in the game. And then it leads into the last side quest where her ending is just so perfect. Yeah, I loved her ending. I loved everything about that. Like she she's only there for two missions, and she's probably. She might be my favorite character in the game, actually. Like she, she made that much of a good impression. Um, but yeah, but the thing is, like that element of Ishikawa being a bit of an unreliable narrator. Granted, he's also pretty honest himself about not being the most honorable guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have Lady Masako, and you find out she's got a little bit of dishonor in her history, and she herself is a little dishonorable. Like you find out all this stuff, and it links back to like. What I'm, they didn't really do anything overtly with it, but it always struck me as interesting that Shimura and other people keep reminding Jin that his father died protecting him when, in the flashback of Jin's memory, that's not entirely true. Jin's father died begging him for help. Hmm. Jin's father died asking and so it makes me wonder because everyone remembers him differently than he was and we also have this with again like Yuriko Yuriko Lady Yuriko Yuriko, yeah uh, her quest line which again that was another like one of those moments that's actually executed well when you have that last memory with her and she's got like Jin's got the body and facial capture of um, that confusion of like oh my goodness she thinks I'm my father and I'm learning stuff about my father that, you know, like, after my mother died, he spent a lover's night with her. And, like, there's all this stuff going through his head, and he decides, all right, it's her last moments. I'm going to pretend to be my dad, you know? Like, uh, yeah. let her relive her, like, the best day of her life. And, and I think a lot of it is about how honor is is just this construct, this, this sort of the, the tradition and honor, it's a construct we sort of wrap a thing around things. Where the... So after this whole invasion, you know, the invasion is, is driven off. You know, what a great victory for the shogunate. Uh, yeah, and the honorable samurai who have driven the, the Mongol invaders from this island and all of that where... They right. They didn't. What did they actually do? They provided yeah. some air support, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while Jin did all the hard work, and yeah. so it, but it's sort of like even in the characters, it's all this thing where where Ishikawa and Masako. So Masako is actually the best example of this, where she just goes on a murderous tirade. Well, personally. not just not just that, but in the in her backstory, right? So she was the younger daughter. And she was married to the, the samurai of the, of the clan. And then it was sort of like the idea was, oh, this is so good for her sister that they've found someone for her to marry that's a, a retainer in this clan. And he turned out to be a real jerk. He was a real jerk. But that the whole thing was that this was, oh, this was the good thing for her was to marry this, uh, this clan retainer and, you know, have his children and all this other stuff and I did nothing wrong sending my sister to live away from her family with some guy we've never yeah. met because it was the honorable thing. thing to do and so and I, I, I sort of wrap this up and so that she gets to 
basically take no responsibility for this horrible thing she did to her sister. Yeah. In the name of honor. And like when I was sitting down watching you play Act Two, it was reminding me too, like of Shimada, like when he's talking about the um, the 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 rebellion that he helped throw down, because he's like, you know, we samurai, we came and we gave order to Tsushima. And he doesn't have any regrets about any of the things that happened, that any any of the crimes done. Like, whereas Yuna grew up as part of this land that ha- was put down and still has a grudge because mm. they had freedom robbed. Yarikawa village, I think? Something like that. Yeah. And the thing is, he just looks down on them altogether. And, like, I thought early on one of the themes that they might play with is that honor is a privilege of the wealthy. Because it kind of is. Mm. Like, the those that are put into a desperate situation, like Jin ends up being, don't have the privilege of being able to do things the honorable way. Do you, do you, you, like, you know, if he wants to survive, he needs to start being stealthy. He can't take out the entire Mongol army as a one-man army. He has to sneak in, stab men in the back, avoid detection. Like, he has to do things that way, even if it is quote-unquote dishonorable. And yet it saves Tsushima. And this is like the, um, and this also like leads to change. Because like the, the, the big action, I call it the Spec Ops moment. Because mm-hmm. um, like Spec Ops the line, and I, I have theories that for both of these games, the player was originally planned to have a choice. Uh, but they don't in the end. In Spec Ops the line, you have the white phosphorus that you have mm-hmm. to use. And then you discover you did something very horrible. Well, Jin poisons all the Mongols, and then it turns out poison starts being used more often. Like, the Mongols start learning to use the poison. They develop the poison. And then, you know, there's word, like Shimoda talks about how a merchant poisoned a guy, and now this new layer of dishonorable subterfuge. But also the big thing, basically what it is, is again, it's change. It's that typhoon. It's that storm. Hmm. Things will never be the same in Japan again. And again, like what are what are what are what do the samurai represent? This sort of illusion of order, where you create this stone structure that's supposed to be able to survive anything, and yet once the the storm of the Mongol invasion comes, the doors are torn up. There's blood on the ground. Things are wrecked inside, even if it looks fine ex- on the exterior. Like the shogunate is trying to preserve an order against change, and it goes against nature, kind of a thing. So. Jin may have brought about consequences, but there's two changes. There, basically, it's like you were either going to become an extension of Mongolia, or you're going to remain Japan, but you now have this new uh, internal mm. threat to deal with. And and a lot of this stuff, like that idea, honestly, of tradition versus change, is so in line with a lot of Japanese themes and cultural ideas and stuff. It's one of the reasons that I think this game is surprisingly great at what it does. Like the final, like it's not just pastiche in its um, influence of samurai cinema. Like it took a lot of stuff from samurai cinema that feels pastiche, but like they understand it to the point that they knew what the last conflict needs to be. Your typical video game ends with the defeat of the Kotun Khan. 
Mm-hmm. Ghost of Tsushima understands the real, again, the what is the real nemesis? Tradition. The real concluding fight is against your uncle because you hit a ultimatum that you can never go back to the way things are. Jin cannot go back to being Lord Sakai. Well, he can. And what's interesting, too, is, and I, I thought this was a, something that stuck out to me, is how it's, he wouldn't, even if he were to have not been the ghost, he could not go back to being Lord Sakai, he would be Jin Shimura. This is true. That his, that the whole, this whole system of honor would basically wipe his father's name out of the world. That now he's not, his his legacy is not as Jin Sakai, it's It's as Jin Jin Shimura. Shimura. He would become... Be adopted and become part of Clan Shimura and take his uncle's name, and that I think that adds an, even another layer to this whole this this whole structure of of conformity. That there's this idea that it, it even takes your very name essentially in the end. Yeah, it changes your identity, and that's the thing. He developed his own identity as the ghost. Yeah, and what, what I want to say about the the whole where I think where you said it's not just a, a pastiche, it's not just an homage to samurai films. I think about a lot of times in music where sometimes a band tries to replicate another band's sound or to, to sort of be influenced by it and they just end up sounding like that band, like a bad copy of that band. Or if you're Weird Al and you're right there to be stupid, you'd be the better version of Devo. <laughs> you're right. But then, what you, but then the how you create music that is both original and that might be in the, in the style of something that's influenced you, is you go back to the influencer of, the, of your influence. Yeah. You know, you don't, um, you don't just learn to play Soundgarden covers. You learn to play Black Sabbath and, you know, whatever else, Led Zeppelin and other things that led into that. And so in the same way, I feel like the creators of Ghost of Tsushima went back and they understand the the important themes and ideas of the Shinto religion. They understand yes. aspects of, of Buddhism very well. They researched, the, they they researched, researched the history of Tsushima, the history of this invasion. They researched the Japanese religion. You're right. They understood. They did more than just watch Seven Samurai and say, we want to do that. They did watch the Kurosawa film. Right, they watched the films and then they went... But they also did... You're right, they did their due diligence when it came to studying the invasion, the Mongolian culture itself, in addition to the Japanese culture, in order to create something that feels... Like, it it has its own identity and feels authentic while still being a toss-up to these... I didn't actually... This is See, talking about the story is what I think is what really that's the extra credit i think for me mm-hmm. that really makes the game like this is why i would play it again this is why i would go through again not for the gameplay like i platinumed it and it's like you know what that was fun i'm fine i don't really need to go back again the story and a lot of this elements of the world that's why i would go back that's why i would replay it and that's why the new game plus isn't going to be too bad of a thing to add because then I really can just go through the main story missions and the side missions and get all the story stuff I want. Yeah. And not have to bother with the hot springs and all that crap. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I really, I think that that's really where it's at is the extra credit is, is like I said, the 
much like how the story isn't as much about defeating the Mongol invaders as it is about personal growth and personal journeys. So under, I'm just kind of underlying the game. It just, it's one of these things where I get, it's an, it elevates every other aspect of the game by what's underneath it. Um, the, the research, the care, the love, the detail that went into the world is what makes it better than just a story about a disgraced samurai fighting Mongol invaders with a somewhat clunky, sometimes clunky, but sometimes good combat system. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about the spoiler? Because I feel like there should be, but I also feel like I kind of like said it's, all that needs to be said. Yeah, it's we could talk more about the details of each one, but I almost like I don't know. It would I don't feel the need to with with it so much. I mean, yeah, I talk about basically some... hit on like what makes it great at least. What what were yeah. just, the elements that make some of it great? So, um, in that regard, I will have one last question to you because I know my buddy Zach. Uh, he feels like this is his game of the year so far. Now, for me, there's not a lot of new stuff I've played that feels game of the year level. But I'm torn because I enjoyed playing Final Fantasy VII Remake more. Hmm. I appreciate this more on a narrative level. I feel like that might be more my game of the year so far. We're having this conversation too early because Cyberpunk is coming out. Even though, I, see, I, I might have to skip that unless my job situation changes. Because right now, the only other game I'm buying for the rest of the year is Yakuza Like a Dragon. So right now, that and that's for me that's why it's game. too early. Because that might be my game of the year. I'll, uh, I'll just give you an early Christmas present if that's a, if that's the case, maybe. So we can do a Cyberpunk 2099. 2077. Uh, you didn't even get the name right. Man, I totally butchered that. Spider-Man 2099, Cyberpunk 2077. Um... Anyway, uh, so, but right now I would probably say I'm in the same boat. I think Final Fantasy VII was more fun for me, um, but I think I don't think I'm going. To, I'm going to give Final Fantasy VII the same treatment I gave Final Fantasy XV. I, I think I'm going to say that right now, Ghost of Tsushima is probably my my game of the year. Interesting. Now, the funny thing is, if I open that up to games that did not come out in 2020, Tokyo Xanadu EX might be the... No, actually, no. Scratch that. Bloodborne. So, Bloodborne. There you go. <laughs> games that did not come out in 2020. Bloodborne. Uh, the only Souls-like thus far... Well, the only FromSoft game thus far that I really, truly love. But uh, otherwise... Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is up there, though. It is a good game. It is a contender. Um... And it's going to be curious to see uh, what it comes away with at the Game Awards, but not that those have ever, never been a joke, you know. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's it's, it's so it's a good game if you just if you haven't played it but listen to the spoilers anyway. Pardon me. Um, yeah, play it. It's pretty good. You got yourself a PlayStation. Uh, give it a whirl because it's definitely in the top three of Sony's first parties for me. Yeah. 
Of this generation. Of this generation. I would. I can't argue with that. Top five, at least. So, I, gotta, I gotta think hard about this one versus Horizon Zero Dawn for me. Oh, it's no. Yeah, this is better than Horizon Zero Dawn. Because yeah, the, this is better. Yeah, this what is I'll better. give what I'll give Horizon the cre- credit of is some of the monster fights are pretty good, but a lot of the rest of the like again like so this so this is, is the thing. So McCain, this is greater than the sum of its parts. I feel like Horizon was not right. Horizon is was a mechanically excellent. But somewhat um, like a um, like like glam rock or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we got. I mean, think about it. there's robot dinosaurs. I would and, not. I would not. Because on a technical level, that's not the genre I would pick. Maybe not glam rock. Let's go like, with something like Children of Bodom, where it's like technically they're very good. Then the guy starts screaming. Like, let's go with something no, no, like that. Because like, I think it's. I think it's something that's. That's both technically excellent and accessible. Maybe not glam rock, but like like eighties, like eighty, like hair metal. Right? Let's go with it's, like, it's like hair metal. Are they really that different? <laughs> it's hair. That's what, that's it what it is. Depends on the band. But okay, so 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 instead, let's go with something we were talking about on the Discord. Where is Lincoln Park or My Chemical Romance really as bad as we believe they are? Like, okay, well, okay. But anyway, so no, Horizon Zero Dawn <laughs> is. Is like '80s, like you know, like Rat Poison, like these kinds of bands. I would have they, they, Rat no, 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 Motley Crue. Like, uh, but there's actually some incredible musicians in the band. There's a good technical scaffolding. It's very accessible, and yet it's not that great. I feel like Whereas, you could still bring up a better example than hair metal, but I get what you're going with. You hear what I Whereas Ghost of Tsushima is like I don't know, some kind of like indie art rock where like maybe these players aren't guys that could, you know Oh no no no. It's it's I I I, I have a very weird obscure compa- like way to do this metaphor because it's like it's like that band that did some really decent you know, uh, hmm. what do they do? Just tell me. I might know. You might be able to just do like a Metallica reference, where it's like everything sucker like, like sucker punches, um, infamous output was when they were just being Dave Mustaine imitation. But now we're no, no. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Never mind. That I don't know. I I don't know how to do the metaphor. It's like the, it's like a band that's like done just your typical metal. But then they have that album that's trying to be prog rock, and it's like, it's not as good as the great prog rock artists, but it's better than their usual stuff. Do you get me? I don't think that, I think our metaphor is broken, we should stop. Our metaphor is kind of broken. No, no, I'm going to make it work. It's like, (laughs) we spent the last four minutes of the podcast trying to make a metaphor work. No, it's it's, it's the difference between, (laughs) no, it's, it's the difference between, whatever. It's fine. Okay, more like two minutes, because two of those minutes was about the whole game of the year thing. Um, it's it's fine. It's just really hard to quantify exactly what we're talking about. Yes, why Horizon just go play, feels not as good. Just go play Ghost of Tsushima. Yes, and tell us about how you feel. Yes, tell us about how you feel. Um, I don't know where are they going to tell you about it anymore because you've disappeared off the internet. You're on Discord. 
No, no, no. I have a comment section on the stupid website. Oh, the website. Go on the website and leave a comment. Sign in to discuss. You can sign in with your Facebook if you still got one. I don't. But Or you can create your own account. Like, comment or email RamblePex. I have a comment. I have everything at the bottom of the podcast. That's true. That's true. Ramblepack64 at gmail.com. Leave a comment. Do something. Give us five stars and leave a review. I don't even look at those statistics. When I, do. <laughs> I need to add it to Stitcher. But anyways, do something. Have a good night. Have a good night. <laughs>